listener, welcome to Eco-Activist Journeys and thank you for tuning in on this COP26 episode all about climate change and the global transformation that needs to happen. If you haven't listened to the first COP26 episode, I would highly recommend that you do so, especially if you'd like to hear more information about what COP26 is and the structure of the international climate regime, as well as some legal background to it. Um, but today we're diving more into the scientific side and I'm interviewing Dr. James Ray. James is an earth scientist at the School of Earth and Environmental Science at the University of St. Andrews. His work investigates Earth's past climate history using geochemical measurements on archives, including sediments, fossils and ice cores. In St. Andrews, he teaches classes in geochemistry, oceanography and climate. He studied earth sciences as an undergraduate at the University of Oxford and did his PhD at the University of Bristol. I know James through the climate strikes in St. Andrews, where he's accompanied us playing bagpipes and also speaking to the crowd about climate change. Uh, he gave a fantastic speech here at the St. Andrews Line of the Sand 2021, and I really uh, enjoyed this conversation that we had, so I hope you do too. Without much further ado, let's just dive right in. Yeah, welcome to Ecoactivist Journeys, James, and thank you so much for being here today and to talk to me about COP26, about climate change, about so maybe some more of your research and just some insights into, yeah, into the world of science and climate change and some, I guess, some background information about um, um, about what makes this COP so important, about um, sort of the state that our world currently is in and what you what you think, yeah, what we can do and what we should do. So yeah, to start off, um, I'd like to hear a little bit more about what you think about COP26 um, and why you um, would argue that it's, it's such an important conference of the parties this year in Glasgow. Well, thank you very much for having me. Um, to speak about this super important event, uh, a really kind of exciting and interesting time. And, and it's exciting and important because um, the impacts of climate change are just more and more apparent to all of us all over the world every day. We've seen that so starkly in 2021 from the most devastating forest fires in places that are hot and dry like Australia and California and enormous flooding in places that are uh, wetter. So in fact even this morning in Scotland two bridges were washed away in the Scottish borders and this is of course a predictable um, impact of climate change. For every degree you warm the atmosphere it can hold seven percent more moisture and that means that it sucks more moisture out of hot dry places making them hotter and drier and more liable to forest fires, but that water falls in wet places, making every storm potentially 7% um, wetter. And so um, it, it's because of you know the fact that, well, one, we can see the impacts more and more, but two, with every passing year, um, this problem gets gets harder to solve. Um, because there's more and more CO2 in the atmosphere. And, um, you know, it, it's a bit like trying to put out, you know, our, our house is on fire, right? And we need to put that fire out. And the best time to do it is when the fire is really small. Um, it gets harder and harder the bigger the fire gets. 
Um, it is always worth trying to put out the fire. So I guess I, I want to say that, you know, um, it, it is never too late. Like we should always do something. Um, yeah. We want to aim for 1.5 degrees C, and this probably is our last chance to do that. But 1.6 degrees is still better than 1.7 degrees, and mm. two degrees is, oh my goodness, a lot better than three degrees. Um, anyway, so if we, what we need to do to avoid the devastating impact of climate change is to reduce CO2 emissions as soon as possible and as much as possible. And so the best time to do that is right now. Mm. And in particular, I guess um, the other enormous importance of COP26 is that it's the follow on from what was hailed really as a hugely important COP in Paris in terms of uh, the Paris Agreement, a framework that was kind of established that really has the potential uh, to, to make a difference in terms of uh, emissions. Um, and there was a framework put into place that essentially said every five years you're going to come back and do um, make, make those pledges better uh, and kind of firm up those targets for how we how we reduce carbon emissions and how we try and improve our climate and so uh, this is that kind of five years later cop um, it's actually six years later because of covid but it's the, the kind of um, uh, the, the fifth one after Paris. And so it is the time to really double down on uh, those promises for a better future and mm -hmm. to kind of finish that uh, that framework of how we get there. Yeah, I think I think there are lots of really important points there. I really like what you said. You know, we have to see at all costs whether 1.5 or, or or not. Like it's always the time to try and stop it to make it not be worse than than it can be and I think it's also really important understanding when we're looking at the things around happening in the world um the more catastrophes the flooding the fires you know climate change obviously has a different impact in different parts of the world and 1.5 even doesn't just mean 1.5 like that's just the average globally it can drastically mean a lot of different temperatures in in the around the world which is I think Absolutely. I mean, the, the yeah. Arctic is already warmed by four degrees. That's the same as the annual temperature difference between St. Andrews, where we're speaking today, and Paris, right? That That's an enormous change in climate already. And so, um, and, 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 and again, one, one degree C, it might not sound like all that much, but bear in mind, the peak of the last ice age, uh, a time I study a lot in my research, globally, the peak of the last ice age was five degrees C colder. Now that was a time that was cold enough that there was a kilometre of ice on top of where I'm sitting now in Scotland. So a really drastically different climate. But that was kind of only five degrees, right? Is That's an ice age sized climate changes, global five degree temperature difference. And so one degree C, that's already 20% of an ice aged sized climate change. So from a scientific perspective, like what is it? Why is it that one point D, one degree that's often described as such or is taken as such a critical point? Um, and that I suppose, especially, uh, well, that a lot of um, activists, scientists, um, also small island nation states have really been advocating for this 1.5 degree goal. But what is it from a scientific perspective that really makes that one so critical? Well, for a long time, the idea that was really pushed for in the climate science community was to try and limit dangerous climate change. Mm -hmm. And that was 
broadly defined as being um, actually with, with in some ways with reference to the paleoclimate record, the record of past climate in Earth's history, which is what I study. Um, well, when we look over the last um, you know, million years or so, uh, we think that the warmest, uh, the very limit of warming that we've ever seen over the last million years or so was maybe about two degrees C. Um, and th those two degrees C warmer climates were associated with pretty profound changes. It seems that probably sea level was around five meters higher. Most of the ice melted on Greenland and a bunch of West Antarctica. But nonetheless, two degrees C was felt to be within a kind of, um, you know, w within a kind of geological analog that we felt reasonably comfortable that there weren't any horrible surprises lurking in. Um, Two degrees C, like I just said, actually, that was most of Greenland and West Antarctica gone in five meters higher sea level. And also at one degree C that we're at already, we are already feeling these devastating impacts of climate change. And so, um, so arguably, you know, you know, one degree doesn't feel safe. And so two degrees certainly isn't. And so there was a feeling that, well, what, what is the, what can we if we try our absolute hardest, what can we limit climate change to? And 1.5 degrees C was felt to be uh, about the limit of what we can manage and something that we should really shoot for. Do you think that it's still possible for humanity to achieve um, this if we really put political efforts to addressing climate change? Technically, it is it is just about possible, but it. It, it, it requires some enormous efforts, yes. And it requires enormous efforts in two fronts. One is um, enormous political will, and that requires enormous public will and engagement. It needs to be the number one thing that voters care about. Um, it does also require most of the pathways to get to 1.5 degrees C um, of warming require lots of removal of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. And that's something that at the moment is, you know, that technology is in its infancy. So while to get to two degrees C, we actually have a bunch of the technologies that we need um, to get to 1.5 we have to do all of that negative emissions um, and, and that's harder. Whereas two degrees C, actually there is um, more of a window to do that. We still need to do very rapid deployment of renewable technologies, of green electricity, and we need to electrify um, as much of the world as possible with that clean power, but it is just about possible. 1.5 is, is really hard, both for the deployment, uh, the urgency of deployment of green technologies it requires and critically for that removal of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. Yeah, and I think looking at currently at what the national contribution targets that countries have sent in, those are not within that, don't put us in the range of 1.5, but um, obviously there's a lot of public pressure as well on countries on this COP, uh, as it should be, because it is quite important to scale up that ambition and to really take action to keep 1.5 alive or at all to at least find more global efforts to actually put a dent into emissions because currently that's not what we've managed to do as humanity even though it's obviously been a discussion point for so long so what is it that you hope to see out of come out of um, COP26 in Glasgow? 
I think the most important kind of technical thing um, is a leveling of the playing field. It's this um, opportunity to make sure that the uh, the pieces of the puzzle that was begun in Paris and filled in successive cops after that, that the final pieces of that puzzle come together so that when we talk about how we get to the climate goals we want to achieve, when we talk about trying to get to net zero, we have um, we, we have all the right kind of political and legal tools at our disposal so that everyone is doing that um, as best as they can. And there's no loopholes to, to run out of this and so i mean you know technically uh this um deals with things like uh, article six which is carbon markets and enhanced transparency frameworks and uh common time frames but 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 ultimately it, it's it boils down to um making uh making the rule book fair making the playing yeah. level the other thing is we we really want to see that um, that ratcheting up as mm-hmm. of ambition in pledges to cut emissions. But finally, I think personally, the thing that I um, that I really want to see, and I want to, um, and, and and I have been seeing and getting excited about, is I want to see enormous engagement uh, both here in Scotland, where COP is happening, but across the world um, by people talking about climate change which is absolutely the thing that we need to do the most of to fix this um and so i i really want to see this uh level of public engagement grow and grow and then continue on the far side of cop as well yeah i really like that last point i think it's it's because it's also such a culture shift you know i think as society we have so much that we need to contribute and change as well and i think when looking at this whole climate regime, something that I think is always so interesting to see, I think, is that a lot of change that is happening is coming from, you know, from society and from um, organizations and people that are really caring about this issue and taking it forward. So, yeah, I I really, uh, I think that's something that we should all strive forward. I think that's something we can all do with with regards to engagement with COP. We don't need to be in those negotiation rooms. I think we need to we need to raise that level of awareness and that helps add that citizen pressure, I think, to the negotiations. So Absolutely right. If there's one thing that you can do about climate change or that you're going to do about climate change, mm-hmm. please make it talk. Talk about climate change. That is absolutely the most important thing you can do. Talk to your friends and family. Think about the influence you can have in organisations you're part of in your workplace. Think about what your banks are doing with your money. Um, talk to your politicians. Please talk to your politicians. Tell them that you care about this and you're going to vote on the basis of it. Make them know that their job depends on climate action. Yeah, that that's a wonderful message, I think. Um, I did want to ask you a final two questions. And that was about, I don't know if there's something that you've um, studied and looked at with regards to climate science that um, and especially that like accelerating effect that we're seeing at the moment that um, maybe scares you um, but then also follow that up with something that you are seeing either yeah within society or within any developments that that gives you hope or that inspires you in your work. 
Yeah, great question. So the thing that scares me the most is the geological analogues for climate change. And this is something that um, in some ways might be ironic because you know, a, a common trope of climate change deniers is, oh, but climate has changed before. And yes, it has. And the people who study it, like me, um, are really scared based on those geological analogues about what we're doing to the planet today. And the specific example I want to give you is from the work that we do to reconstruct the history of CO2 change. Now, you can do that for about a million years using bubbles in ice cores, and that shows you the history of the ice ages. But most of those climates are cold and they have CO2 that never really goes above 300 parts per million in the atmosphere. We are now at 414 ppm. It's a level completely alien to the ice core record, but it has been experienced in Earth's past. And my group uses um, the, the chemical fingerprints that are left in fossils in, uh, in deep sea mud cores to look at that history of CO2 change. Now, when we do that, we see that the last time that CO2 was 414 ppm was about three million years ago. It's a time called the Pliocene, and it's a time where there's no ice on Greenland, there's very little ice on West Antarctica, and East Antarctica is a bit smaller too. And globally, as a result of all of that ice melt, sea level is about 20 metres higher than it is today. There's a forest of beech trees growing on the Antarctic Peninsula. It is a different world. So 414 ppm of CO2, the level we're at today, if we allow that to persist in the atmosphere, the geological past shows us that we have dialed in 20 meters of sea level rise. Now, the, the good news is that it does take massive ice sheets some time to melt, but exactly how long is a pretty open scientific question. And so it behooves us to get CO2 back out of the atmosphere and certainly not let it grow. And so I guess that then feeds into my um, cause for kind of optimism and excitement based on uh, research work that I've been doing. I mean, th there are there are loads of causes for optimism and excitement, I think, you know, the, the ever plunging cost of green electricity that always surpasses uh, even the most ambitious estimates. You know, the cost of solar has fallen by 89% in the last 10 years, the cost of wind by 70% in the last 10 years, and Scotland is now able to produce 100% of its electricity renewably. I mean, there's enormous cause for optimism there. And I get a whole load of optimism from uh, from the, the activism of um, young people globally, including yourself, who are taking to the streets to demand that better future. But from uh, my own work, the thing that I am uh, pretty interested in and excited about is the potential for um, some kind of earth and environmental science solutions to uh, removing CO2 from the atmosphere. Uh, and these are based on the fact that, you know, CO2 has risen in the geological past. And when that happens, it does get removed. You know, the planet has mechanisms to remove CO2, um, but left to their own devices, they are slow. 
What we're working on is ways to speed up those kinds of reactions. Essentially, the way that CO2 reacts with the rocks at Earth's surface. Can we work out technologies uh, known as enhanced or accelerated weathering that allow those reactions that are ultimately the backstop for planetary climate? Can we speed those up to help remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere in the future? Yeah, that's that sounds like a really yeah exciting topic, and I think it is, it is like I mean it is also very scary, especially as a young person looking out into the world. But it's also I think as a society such an exciting time to create change, um, and I think that's definitely something that everyone can drive from because it's such a there's so much to develop and to discover and to innovate in this world to really create something better i mean at the end of the day that's what we're trying to do when addressing climate change to create a better world um not just Absolutely. from a climate perspective but from social justice perspective as well um, from all sorts of perspective this should be a world that we want to rush towards and embrace i mean um at present there's somewhere between four and nine million lives a year lost due to air pollution a world without fossil fuels is a world without air pollution and those lost lives you know there, there are so many um good reasons to do this and it's going to be really exciting to to watch that happen and and um, you know we we hope benefit from the opportunities that um that this creates you know that there is this enormous potential to build a whole host of really cool interesting jobs uh, that are going to employ people to try and make the world a better place yes um that's a great note for us to sort of conclude on i know we could probably talk on forever about all of the exciting things that first you doing in research and about that happening in the world um so thank you so much for yeah sharing your knowledge. I think we already left a good message for listeners around engaging with COP, engaging with climate change, speaking to people, um, and uh, yeah, putting pressure on on politicians, on leaders, um, not just from political side, but I think of also organisations and institutions that have so much con to contribute to to that societal change and shift. Um, so I think that was a really uh, good message to take into into this time um, and to yeah not give up hope because I think we can always do something. Uh, we have to act now, even, you know, with the changes that are happening um, and rush towards that uh, that promise of, of, a, of a better future and a better world. So, yeah, thank you, James, for your time today. Um, and yeah, thank you for listeners to tuning in and hope you enjoyed this discussion as well uh, have a good rest of your day thank you very much for having me and yes um thanks for listening do please talk about climate change and making the world a better place yes that's it for today uh, thank you so much for tuning in i hope you learned something and that you are inspired to contribute to the success of cop26 by helping put pressure on our governments and your representatives at COP, um, whether that is through sending letters, writing, raising awareness, or joining protests. Um, if you can, do join a protest in some form or another, um, sign petitions, help put pressure on delegate and country representatives to make this ambitious decision at COP for our future, to make this ambitious turnaround and really steer the boat towards a direction that will ensure a better and habitable planet for our future. 
So yeah, please help spread the message. Share this podcast with those that you think might benefit or enjoy listening. Um, learn something from this. Um, thank you so much for your support. Thanks for tuning in. This was Ecoactivist Journeys. My name is Leah and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Um, take care and hope to speak to you again soon. <laughs>